A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We are back with another episode of The Social Impact Show. This week, we have an amazing opportunity to interview Scott Harrison of Charity Water, which is one of the most impressive organizations that I've seen. They get it from top to bottom, um, how to use dollars, how to affect change, connecting with people on the ground, ensuring that the voices are heard all around. So this is really going to be an opportunity for everyone listening to, to learn from Scott and with that, we're just going to say thank you, Scott, for being on the show. This is amazing. Thanks for having me. Uh, Charity Water is just impeccable. Um, raising over $200 million, funding over 20,000 water projects in 24 countries for 6.3 million people. Uh, they're celebrating their 10-year anniversary this year, which is just amazingly impressive how all that can get done in in that amount of time. Tell us a little bit of your background because we've got loads of questions, but just give us a little bit of the summary that I think um, everyone would like to hear about you. Sure. Well, I was a former nightclub promoter, so I was not a do-gooder at all. Uh, I moved to New York City at 18 years old, rebelling from a very conservative Christian upbringing, and my mom was really sick growing up. I was an only child and uh, just kind of lost the plot. I mean, in some ways, uh, lived out the prodigal son story. And I discovered that New York City was this amazing place and that you could party for a living. You could drink (laughs) for a living as a nightclub promoter. And uh, 10 years very, very quickly evaporated as uh, my life spiraled into drunkenness and debauchery and just a a really pretty dark place, even though it looked pretty great from the outside. Uh, It was a, a, a pretty soulless existence. And fortunately, I... Came, came to my senses uh, 10 years later, so it, it took me a decade of, of selfishness to kind of find my way out, but I, uh, I realized just what a mess I'd been making, and I was in this pursuit of more, and there would never be, uh, there'd never be enough of everything I was looking for at the time, whether it was girls or money or status or parties. So I uh, made a radical life change. I wound up selling almost everything I owned. I made this deal with God that I would try to come back to my very lost faith, and I wanted to serve the poor. Uh, I wanted to make my life look exactly the opposite of its selfish uh, existence. And I began applying to humanitarian organizations to volunteer for one year. And uh, I guess maybe to nobody's surprise, no humanitarian organization wanted to take me (laughs) because I terrified them. I mean, you know, they were all serious people doing 
serious humanitarian work, and here I was a, a drunk. But one organization finally, I think, believed my heart change and said if I was willing to go uh, live in post-war Liberia on their mission, then, uh, then I could serve. And I really quit everything. So I never smoked again. I never uh, touched Coke or gambled again or, uh, you know, really just gave up all of my vices in one go. And that led me to post-war Liberia on a humanitarian mission where I saw the need for clean water for the first time. Uh, I came face to face with the, the world water crisis in the form of children drinking from ponds and rivers and swamps and uh, learned that dirty water was killing people. And this had been something that I would sell uh, in clubs for $10 to people who right. wouldn't even open it. So that uh, one-year humanitarian trip turned into two years. And as I came back at the end of that, uh, at 30 years old, uh, started Charity Water. I wanted to be a part of ending the water crisis. I wanted to help work towards a day on earth where no one drank dirty water, where no child died of diarrhea simply because of the conditions they were born into. You know, this, I think um, one of the things that I found really telling and just kind of, of listening to you speak and was just talking about find, going back to your roots and finding your life purpose. And, you know, a lot of the people that we that I work with, that we work with, don't necessarily have as uh, um, a colorful background, I should say, as as your story. Nor should they. <laughs> well, one way or another, though, finding your purpose is still something that um, a lot of uh, up-and-coming nonprofit leaders, um, social impact leaders are, are really trying to struggle with. Do you, do you have any suggestions on how some other people can find their purpose? Uh, you know, look, I mean, for me, faith was a big part of, uh, of my story, and I realize that's not true for, for many others. But I think maybe just... You know, I, I found it in serving others and just positionally my entire decade had been about serving me. It had been about pleasuring myself, making myself happy, uh, and then often even came at the expense of others. I think changing that to care about others, to serve others, to put others before myself, you know, whether it's, uh, for me, it came out of a Christian worldview, but it could come out of looking out for others first and putting yourself last. And I think I found with that, there was a, a real freedom. Um, I had been in some ways an ens enslaved to my own selfishness for so long. So, you know, whether that's doing it through a marriage, whether it's doing it through work, just really trying to live your life out for others. And in my case, uh, I also needed a return to virtue. I needed a return to honesty and integrity and respect and, uh, you know, many of the values I'd been brought up with but had abandoned. One of the things that um, came up, because uh, a lot of our listeners are just starting their organizations and looking to hopefully one day become uh, as, as successful and impactful as Charity Water has been. And... Um, it's really trying to figure out one of the things that is clear is that storytelling has been vital in, in the process. I mean, you, one click of your website and it, you've just got such great, strong messages. How can a novice in this realm, maybe somebody that's really passionate about the mission, kind of gain more expertise and, and savvy in, in conveying the story? I do think storytelling is hard to teach. Uh, for us, it's just been intuitive. I mean, we see, we meaning the, the team at Charity Water, we see stories everywhere. We see them in the most unlikely places. And I think uh, even back to my past, for 10 years, I was telling a story 
that whatever club we were working at was the club you needed to be at uh, because of the DJ or the celebrities or whatever party was going on that night. Right. So I think it was always a a natural gift. I I, I think people people well, we know this people respond to stories not statistics if i tell you right now that 663 million people are living without clean water you numb out uh, there is no emotion there nobody knows what 663 million anything looks like right. let alone people without water but if i yeah. tell you a story of a 13 year old girl who was walking 8 hours a day for water and one day slipped and fell and spilled her water and instead of going back she took a rope and hung herself from a tree mm. And took her own life in despair. Um, and her name was Letikiros Hailu, and she was from Tigray, Ethiopia. And if I showed you a picture of her grave and her mother, and if I showed you a picture of the tree where they found her body, uh, people the story connect. Comes the, out. the story yeah. comes out. And by the way, she's one of those 663 million people. That's what it right. looks like to be trapped in the water crisis. So for, for us, it's just the way that we see the world. We, we're excited about telling stories. We, you know, we we tell stories of things gone wrong. Uh, we tell stories of our drilling rigs that have crashed uh, and run off of roads because it's true and it doesn't always go well. Uh, you know, life isn't perfect. Development isn't perfect. And I think, um, I don't know, the, the stories often speak to the values that we are trying to put out into the world. And um you know, uh, one of one of my favorite stories is people are always asking, well, what does clean water mean to communities and how does it change people's lives? And I, I can give you lots of data around health impacts. I can give you economic indicators. I can talk to you about education and improved education through water. Um, but we often tell a story of this woman from northern Uganda named Helen Apio. And she told us that after she got water... Uh, she felt beautiful for the first time in her life yeah, because she never that. had enough water to wash her face and her clothes. And uh, she had put the limited water that she was able to get every day. Um, and she'd use that for her family. She'd put her family first and herself last. And, you know, that story speaks to the courage and the dignity and the sacrifice of this amazing mother of this wife in Northern Uganda, um, who now finally, deservedly has enough clean water to to feel beautiful to wash her clothes and wash her face and uh you know showing helen's picture and um being able to tell a story in her own words i think is is a lot more powerful than a bunch of statistics i could rattle off or percentages i could i could throw at you yeah and definitely in in this day and age the story uh the the mass media stories for example change so swiftly um, one day you're talking about the left and the next day you're talking about right. And just curious, is this one of the ways that you are ensuring that people stay aware of the importance of water? Because how do you, how do you ensure that the, how do you maintain your place of importance with the masses? Well, we, we have a real challenge, uh, because the problem that we are trying to solve simply does not affect people here, here yes. in the developed world. Uh, I haven't talked to an audience in America in the last five years where people, you know, are coming up to me afterwards saying, yeah, I know what you mean. I used to walk eight hours for dirty water. I lost seven children to dysentery. Um, yeah, my mom went blind with trachoma because she used to wash her face with, with water from the backyard swamp. You know, it's, it's not true. 
So we, we have to stay top of mind. We have to convince people why they should care for our brothers and sisters living thousands of miles away, people who are not buying our products, who are not um, making our lives richer, um, that this is about, you know, it's about true charity, charity in the, in the purest form, um, loving your neighbor as yourself, looking after widows and orphans in distress and finding really effective ways to do that. Water, we believe, being one of the most powerful ways to give people you know, their most basic need. Um, you know, no one can thrive, no one can flourish if they don't have clean water. And I think that story is even, uh, it, it's clear that even with the Flint water crisis, that it was hard to get even people outside of Flint in the United States to understand how important that issue was. Um, so it'll be, it, it'll, it's continuously a conversation to kind of get better understanding of how to keep your organization not relevant because all issues are equivalent are equally important, but just in a position where you can get the support that you need to con- continue to do the good work. Yeah. But, you know, the, there's also these other things when you're, you're, when you're a smaller organization uh, that's still coming up. You know, how did you encounter resistance, if, you, if any? I'm, you know, it's kind of hard to hear a story where there was absolutely no resistance at the beginning. Um, but how were you able to overcome um, any resistance that you faced early on in the process of building Charity Water? Well, the, the 100% model was incredibly challenging. So those familiar with us know that <laughs> we, we try to make things very difficult for ourselves by saying that every dollar we would ever raise from the public, we wouldn't be able to touch. We right. wouldn't be able to use it for salaries or for office rent or for flights even around the world to develop these projects. So, so Charity Water started with two bank accounts that were distinctly separate, funded with $100 each. And... I really believed that the biggest reason people don't trust charities is because of money. I would hear time and time again, where does the money go? How much actually reaches people? Charities are black holes. Uh, I learned that 43% of people in America don't trust charities. People think the system is broken. And our 100% model was just an attempt to say to some of those disenchanted people, look, uh, we're going to create a way where you just can't use that excuse. You can't say how much of my money will reach this need because the answer will always be 100%. But it was incredibly, incredibly difficult because, you know, we were starting effectively two organizations from scratch, one that was raising money for overhead, one that was raising money for these projects, and you had to run them in perfect balance. Uh, and and by a business model approach, we could raise millions of dollars for clean water and go bankrupt right. and miss payroll because we could never touch a penny of that money. And to make life even more difficult for ourselves, we said, well, 100% means 100%, so we're even going to pay back credit card fees. Yeah. So if uh, if a donor gives $100 on their Amex and Amex takes $3, well, we actually didn't get 100 We got 97 but we're right. going to make up the difference because they meant to give 100 and we're going to send the full $100 to the field um, or $1,000 or 100000 or a million. So about a year and a half in, we got ourselves into a little bit of a jam where we'd raised millions for clean water. The 100% model was working. Uh, many people were telling it was the first charitable gift they had made in their life because wow. they could finally trust. But yet we couldn't raise money for the overhead side fast enough. And I remember being in this position where we had a few weeks left to make payroll. Uh, I think we had nine employees at the time. And we had $880,000 in the water bank account that we couldn't touch. And the advice I was getting from friends was to go and borrow from that money. 
Money was fungible, write an IOU, you have to pay your people. Everybody seemed to have some sort of rationale. And I remember just being so uh, outraged by the insinuation that we would betray the public's trust if we took a penny from that bank account. Uh, our integrity would be compromised. The foundation would have a crack. We might as well all resign in shame. So I was actually going to shut down the organization if we couldn't figure out how to raise money for overhead. And at that moment, a complete stranger walked into the office, uh, took a meeting with me, left the office and wired $1 million into the overhead account. And we went from, you know, almost bankrupt to more than 13 months of operational funding. And we used that time to go and find a hundred more families, just like he and his wife, who actually uh, believe in funding the overhead side and continue to support that today. And that's paved the way for a million givers to now give in a pure way. So you've essentially been able to um, counter the res- any resistance against the, the progress by essentially getting people that believe in you to support you in that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a different value proposition, but um, these hundred and uh, it's actually 115 families from around the world uh, are, are, they make up a giving program called The Well, and they all commit to giving on three-year cycles at, at various giving levels. And 100% of their money is going to toner, paper clips, mm. phone bills, insurance, office rent, garbage collection, flights. Um, it's the unsexy cost, but those families believe in our work. They believe in the power of this 100% message to reach out to people who are not giving to traditional charities. And uh, we've built a lot of trust with those families. And they're they're really excited that their money gets to pay an accountant's salary or a water program engineer's flights um, or uh, a software engineer's metro card. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that also comes up with, with organizations uh, that do development work in, in um, underdeveloped nations uh, is the, the kind of uh, combating the ideology of a savior complex. Has that been something that you've, have to, you've had to overcome with Charity Water? It really hasn't because from day one, we began working with local partners. I had seen organizations make the mistake of sending Westerners over to Africa or India or Asia to save the day. And I was very clear about not wanting to be one of those organizations. However, as I had traveled around, I'd seen amazing indigenous NGOs, indigenous charities um, who were fantastic at implementing high quality, sustainable work, but were terrible at marketing and terrible at fundraising. Right. So that was always going to be the role of Charity Water, raising awareness about an issue that no one in the public was talking about, that no one cared about, the global water crisis. Uh, touch 663 million others and not us. So we would help raise awareness. We would help raise money from people. But then all of the work would be done by locals across these 24 countries. So it's really, uh, they are the heroes. And we tell those stories. We uh, currently help employ over 550 people in Ethiopia. And we tell the stories of the water technicians, the drillers, the guy who started that organization over 35 years ago, um, and it was birthed out of the terrible famines. Um, we, we honor our partners. We have high respect for them. We could never do what they do every day. And we look at our role as, as service to them. Um, we, we help grow the capacity of these organizations as well. We have bought multi-million dollar drilling rigs for our partners. We've bought support trucks. We bought dewatering pumps. Uh, we have helped them 
uh, run strategic planning sessions uh, as they can think three to five years out in the future. We've helped them hire hydrologists. So we really look at our, our role as in service to them, the local leaders, the local heroes. Um, and we're, we're simply providing uh, a generous group of people who want to come alongside them and make more work possible. You've had so much success with Charity Water. I'm curious if you have a do not do list for anyone that's starting a, uh, an endeavor. Like, are there any kind of like one or two things that you've kind of seen? Maybe you've stumbled with Charity Water in the beginning or other organizations you've seen. Any things that you're like, okay, please do not do this if you're an organization? Great question. So number one, hire a very good lawyer to get your 501c3. Do not ask your uncle, who is a real estate lawyer, to help you spend ten dollars or $15,000 and go hire a lawyer who has done many 501c3s before. Um, I think it's actually one of the smartest things we did, and I remember how painful it was spending that money early on. You know, you get $500 an hour fees from lawyers, and it just kills you because... You know, five hundred dollars is is everything at that time, but it was really really important for us. We we got our five hundred one c three in fifty eight days, and I know so many organizations you know are pending with the IRS. They yeah. uh, the IRS keeps sending it back for more revisions. So that's one. I would say the second thing is something we didn't do well, which was understand the value of CRM, oh. of just customer relationship management software and. I'm I'm not uh, I'm I'm not so much a systems thinker, and I didn't put enough people around early enough to to really cover for that. So uh, we we were late. You know, there was a point where we had hundreds of thousands of donors. You know, in spreadsheets and Excel <laughs> spreadsheets, and uh, we didn't know what we needed to know about them. We we weren't able to steward those relationships like I wish we'd had. Um, and, and we invested in that too late. So I would say, you know, CRM, customer relationship management is so important to get right, um, you know, build that foundation. It's not money that, that is fun to invest, but it's really important in the long run. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Great tips. You know, we 
as we stalked you to to learn more about you for this interview, we we found out that you have a little mini Scott now, um, and we're interested in just learning about work life balance. Um, you're running a major multi million dollar nonprofit, um, but also you're a dad and a in a partner. How how do you manage life and being the CEO of Charity Water? Well, one thing is I live very close to work, um, so we live in a very small apartment. It's kind of a converted one bedroom. Um, and it's an eight-minute walk from the office. So, so many of my friends, you know, have houses in the suburbs and are commuting, you know, a couple hours in every day. And I've just decided to uh, live in a very small apartment in the city, which is all that we can afford. But, you know, try to see my, my son and now my daughter, who's coming in a couple weeks, oh, well, uh, in the morning and at, and at night. So I'm... I'm um, I'm really intentional about that. So that's just one thing. It's not for everybody. Um, maybe at some point, uh, you know, <laughs> when he's a little older, we do move out to the suburbs and I, I figure out how to manage work-life balance with a, with a commute. But for now, it's been pretty amazing, you know, to spend a total of 16 minutes a day commuting. Um, and, and just having the family so close. So I actually get to see Jackson. He'll stop by the office a bunch and every once in a while a meeting will cancel and I'll just ring my wife up and say, maybe in the playground in 10 minutes. I've got a free hour. <laughs> That's the way to multitask. Um, but, but that is another point of, of a lot of what our listeners, um, probably are struggling with as well, which is self care. Um, you're working for a mission that you care passionately about. Um, but are, are there any routines that you have that you like, are you, are you meditating regularly? I mean, I listen to podcasts where that's a huge uh, component, anything that really stands out for you? Yeah, I pray. Um, so I definitely have a, a an active prayer life. I try to involve, uh, you know, God in, uh, you know, in, in decision-making or at least, you know, uh, asking him to keep me true to, you know, the values that I, that I really care about and to make decisions that honor other people and, and have the utmost integrity. Um, I, I wish I could say I was a better reader. Okay. I, I just don't find as much time to, to read as, as I would like to. Um, you know, I find that I get most creative ideas these days on the road. So I do travel a lot for work. Before my son was born, I was doing almost 100 flights a year. Yikes. So that's a, that's an airplane every three days or almost every three days. Um, now I'm probably down to about 60 or 65, but, uh, I, I do find that, you know, for me, sometimes the best ideas come in the back of a Land Rover in a six hour drive, uh, across the, the desert of Niger or, um, you know, bouncing around the, the cliffs or the mountains of Northern Ethiopia. And, uh, I try to just capture everything. I'm a big fan of, uh, David Allen's getting things done. You know, if it's not written down, if you don't capture it, uh, it's just lost. Oh, I can agree with that. I think I think it's so easy to forget things when you're moving so quickly. So this is good tips there. Um, also, just curious, you know, again with with the listenership being up and coming, uh, one of the really good questions I got was, how can next gen leaders commit to social justice work um, and still meet the needs of just everyday living without going broke. Do you have any suggestions on how to do that? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think the, the reality is if you are actually starting a nonprofit, you're going to be broke for many years. Understood. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think um, it's just a sacrifice that, that some people are willing to make. And, you know, we don't own a house. Um, we, uh, you know, <laughs> my friends who are 41 years old, 
um, that have chosen a different path are worth millions or tens of millions and have been, you know, making money and saving their entire business career. And I think, uh, when you're in our line of work, you know, I was joking with my wife the other day, we've, we've given away, I think three times what our net worth is. Cause oh. when you get in this business, you just, you just keep giving and you want to give to everyone that asks. So, um, I think, you know, yeah, it is worth counting the cost. Um, I don't dream about a house in the Hamptons or, uh, you know, flying first class, or I, I don't have these aspirations of, uh, nice cars or, uh, nice clothes. And, and I know a lot of people do. So, uh, there is, that is the reality. Everybody is really, really broke as you're building something. Um, and, and even, you know, even if you're a 40 or 50 or a hundred million dollar organization, you're still, you're still going to be making sacrifices because if you're the CEO of a hundred million dollar organization, you know, in the for-profit world, you'd be making a, a hundred to 200 X multiple. Right. Right. No, that's, that's fair. Um, but on the flip side of that, and you know, I guess a lot of people are thinking about this. Um, I have a lot of talented colleagues that have had to, or have chosen to leave, uh, the nonprofit work because of, of limited resources in the development of entry level early career employees. Um, how can nonprofits do a better job of providing resources in, in, in any way, um, to really ensure that we're cultivating a next generation of leaders? I think that's a great, great, uh, challenge. And, and, you know, you're right to call that. It's actually something we think about at Charity Water, you know, even now with, um, 75 employees or so, you know, professional development gets talked about almost daily here. I, I think in the early stages, what you're able to offer employees is just such a unique experience of doing so many things. You know, at the beginning of Charity Water, uh, I mean, we were, doing accounting because you have to, we were, uh, you know, (laughs) delivering, um, we were selling merch early on to get donations. So we were delivering the merch ourselves. We were flying around picking our water partners. I mean, you, you, you're generalist. So you learn so many different things as the organization grows, you know, the, the need for generalists uh, becomes a need for people who are specialized and uniquely qualified to do their job. So, you know, now we have a role for people just focused on monitoring and evaluation, the sustainability of these projects, what happens afterwards. We have other people who are focused just on auditing the finances of specific countries of specific projects, others that are working on, um, on quality. So, you know, there's so many different, uh, you know, so many different roles that are needed that are specialized. Uh, and I think now we really think, how do we, how do we grow people? You know, I remember, uh, seeing a talk by Daniel Pink. Um, I think he wrote about this in a book called Drive and he found that people were motivated by purpose, which, you know, any nonprofit or social good organization should have in spades. Uh, motivated by autonomy and motivated by mastery. So the mastery is, is one I think that you're talking about. And, and for us, it looks like sending people to conferences. It looks like helping people find mentors, um, encouraging people to seek out their own professional development. Sometimes, you know, a, a junior employee will want their manager to do it for them. And, you know, with this world now, I mean, we have someone here who's taking a master class online from Werner Herzog on filmmaking. 
and she makes films at Charity Water every day. You know, she wasn't waiting for her manager to come in and say, hey, Jamie, I think that, you know, uh, we should send you to this thing. I mean, people, I think you're, you're responsible for your own professional development, and there's never a better time. There have never been more resources that are affordable um, or available to you today. Um, so I think it's both the job of the organization to pay for it, to enable the time for that, but it is also the job of the, the individual contributors to go and seek it out on their own behalf and not blame the organization. Excellent. Um, you know, one other question before, before we wrap up, just, just curious, um, how have you been able to stay focused on this? I mean, I know it's a passion project and I know that you've seen on the ground and you've seen the need, but I think as humans, we often have a lot of interest across the board. Um, are there other things that have at times pulled you in different directions or has it always been clean water or bus over the past 10 years? It's pretty much been clean water bus. Although I will say that when I started, it was charity colon, uh, and I was hoping to do charity education and charity shelter and charity malaria and charity health. And um, uh, that has probably been, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of because I think it's easy to lose focus and get bored. Uh, I mean, we have been telling the water story for 10 years. <laughs> but what I learned was that, A, it's really hard to do uh, a impactful clean water and sanitation projects in a sustainable way. And that we are so much better at it today than we were two years ago or five years ago or eight years ago or 10 years ago. And that with focus, we're actually able to serve more people. We're able to make a greater impact. Um, and, and the wonderful thing with water is that it touches almost everything else I wanted to do. It touches health. It touches education. It touches local economies. Um, it even touches blindness. Uh, it touches things like trachoma. So uh, I, I think every time we have thought about straying from that, we've reminded ourselves of just how much work there is left to be done. Now, Charity Water solved about 1% of the current, current global crisis, 6.3 million people out of 660 million. So we have an awful lot more to do. There are people that are out there right now that are struggling through their days without their most basic need met. And we have to figure out how to go faster, help more people, uh, and drive more impact. Well, I mean, it's clear that it's going well, but where is, where is it? What do you think for the next 10 years of what's next, the next 10 years of Charity Water looking like for you? I want to help more people. Uh, I want to help a lot more people. Uh, that's great that 6 million people have clean water and we've, we've been able to enlist about a million generous donors and supporters in this cause. I, I want to, to radically increase that impact. I think it should be 10 million givers and then 100 million givers. You know, everybody in the world can care about this issue, even though it doesn't affect them, whether you are a Christian or an atheist or a Jew or a Muslim or a Mormon uh, or agnostic, every single person can come together. They can put differences aside, political differences, religious differences, um, you know, moral differences. They can put that aside and stand for clean water. So I want to do a lot more. I want to help people. It is an emergency. I, you know, I've been to Ethiopia 27 different times since starting. And, you know, there are people that will look me in the eye and say, will you help us? Will you carry our story uh, back home? You know, uh, no human being should have to suffer like this. We have been you know, we've been praying for mercy. We've been praying for help. Will you be the person that, um, that carries our story and, 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 and tells others what you've seen? So I do feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to do that. So how can people continue to tell the story? How can they get involved? Tell us more about how to give. 
Let us know how to help Charity Water further its mission. Sure. Well, there are two ways. Um, one thing is that people donate their birthdays to Charity Water. And it's a very simple idea. We've got enough crap. And when our birthday comes around, we don't really need to throw a big party. And we don't need ties, wallets, belts, handbags, uh, gift cards to Crate and Barrel or you know, uh, Amazon, 660 million people don't have their most basic need met. So charity water has created a way where people donate their birthday and we, uh, we've set up a a proprietary, uh, fundraising platform where we track a hundred percent of the dollars. And the simple idea is that people ask for their age in dollars. So a seven-year-old asks for $7 and a 31-year-old asks for $31 and an 89-year-old asks for $89. And friends and family give for your birthday, and then everybody sees the impact, the photos and the GPS coordinates of those projects as they're built. Um, so that's a really simple thing to do. Um, people could go to charitywater.org slash birthdays, and it takes 10 seconds to pledge, even if your birthday is a year from now. And then the second way is, is really what everybody could do as well. And we're launching a brand new giving community called The Spring. And it's really anchored around the idea that every $30 can get one person clean water, uh, especially knowing that 100% goes straight to these, these projects and into these communities. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people who are giving month in and month out to see an end to the water crisis. And we have uh, many people that are giving $30 every month. We have some people that are giving $10 a month and helping one person every three months. And we have people that are giving $300 a month and helping 10 people every month. So it's less about what people can give, but just this idea of showing up month in, month out. You know, we subscribe to to Spotify and Netflix and our cable and all these things that give us benefit. And what we're trying to do is create a program that actually gives others benefit. So that when you see, you know, with those $30 and that donation comes out on your statement, you know that you didn't get the benefit, but someone else got access to their most basic need. So people could go just to charitywater.org uh, to learn more about the spring. And um, again, it takes less than 30 seconds to sign up. Well, Scott, my gosh, you're such a busy man. We totally appreciate the time that you've taken to come on the show and share your knowledge with up and coming nonprofit leaders. Um, So hopefully you've had a good time and we look forward to sharing this with as many people as possible so that we can get the message of Charity Water even further than its bajillion followers already. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Social Impact Show. You can find us at www.thesocialimpactshow.com. And if you have recommendations or people you'd like us to interview, email us at hello at thesocialimpactshow.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much to our producer, The Mediocre Parent Show. Check them out on Twitter and iTunes under the same name. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.